Is it? Oh my god, I lost count. <gasps> I'm too popular. You know, yeah. <laughs> um, but unlike previous shows, today Claire and I will talk about um, first generation migrant experience in Australia, which is inspired, in fact, by Claire anthropology essay, which was personally a great read for me. Really, you enjoyed it. I really did. Wow. <laughs> I felt a lot of connection with it. Really, I'm glad because, I mean, obviously I don't come from an immigrant background, so it's it's nice to be able to create something that you're able to relate to because I have no personal experience with it at all. Hmm. But it has been also, like, quite a while. And for some reason, yeah. the, when I read it, I'm like, you know what, this would be a great this would be a great topic for our show. And so yeah. we're here today. You texted me as soon as you were like proofreading it. She was like, do you want to talk about this? I'm like, sure. This would be so interesting. I really do enjoy yeah. it. So let's just start off with um, yeah. a bit of background into the essay so <laughs> yes. that our, re- our readers have a bit of an idea on w- why, how, how we end up here today. <laughs> yeah. So basically, um, I took part in an anthropology course last semester. It's really great. Um, at 2129, I think. It's about the anthropology of migration and we got to choose our own research topics. And one of the special topics I chose for that course was um, migrant representations Mm -hmm. in media. And I got to, um, I wanted to specifically look at the SBS and the way migrants present themselves through that um, network, which is specifically created for um, immigrant viewers and migrant people in Australia and also outside of Australia, which is amazing Mm. um so i was looking at examples of migrant and immigrant media within australia and i came up with three different examples um one of them some some of our older video viewers viewers Viewers? (laughs) (laughs) might be more familiar with the show acropolis now Mm. um which is it's set in australia i believe it's set in melbourne and it's about a, a greek family who runs and owns a cultural cafe mm-hmm. in Melbourne. And it's basically, it's a sitcom, it's a comedy, just them living their life. But it's really interesting discussion of the views of stereotypes and of migrant people during that specific time. I believe it was like 1970s, 1980s. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I, I compare that to some more um, recent presentations of migrant media. One of them is a YouTube channel. Um, it's called Super and then there's slower I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say that I, I think I think since it's it's a common one I think it's it okay. Should be okay well the um it's run by two men they've got like 3.5 million followers yeah. on YouTube actually um and it's it's called Superwog and it's really interesting because it's also a Netflix as well mm. um but it's it's not a sitcom but it like it, it's classified that as on Netflix. But it's just yeah. these two men um, playing these characters of also kind of stereotyped individuals from migrant households. But it's mm. still really interesting because they're Australian, so they're presenting themselves and they're using comedy as a way to connect with and to let other viewers relate to their experiences mm. as well, which is really interesting. And I also use another comedy. All three of these are comedies, by the way. So I'm analysing the way they use comic mm. tools. Um, the last one I used is a rom-com, actually. It's a movie, which is really sweet. It's called Alex and Eve. It's about a man named Alex who falls in love with a Muslim woman named Eve. And the whole thing is just like their families clashing. Um, no? Okay. Um, the whole thing is they're like their families like having these cultural clashings, like the Greek people 
have obviously different values to the Muslim people. Um, and it's just really interesting seeing the progression of the different values and the different things they express themselves with throughout mm-hmm. time because it's obviously like 30 1979 so yeah 30 40 years between these representations specifically in this sphere specifically in Australia so it's really interesting to analyze the changes that have been made mm. um, and what tools like SBS have been able to encourage in terms of migrant media so they're more able to rely less on stereotypes as an example which is I don't know I found it a very interesting research topic I also find it particularly interesting that all three of them are also like comedy as well I think it's I'm not I'm not quite sure I mean I feel like it's a personal experience for me but I feel like some of these topics especially if you are like because a lot of this would focus more well I know super walk would focus more on a second gen migrants um like experiment rather than like um as opposed to the first one a couple now which is focused more on first generation migrants um but i think for them as well it's it's a very difficult topic to approach at time and i feel like comedy maybe is the best way for them to approach it in a light hard way it's it definitely makes it easier Mm. i think because if they were just to make a show just analyzing you know these are the different things we experience these are you know x y and z i don't think lots of the audience would be very receptive mm. to that. They um, Like what they did in Acropolis now, they've got to make it, um, I mean, less so now, but they've got to make it palatable for the majority audience at the time. And during the 1970s, that was like, you know, the white Anglo-Saxon audience. It mm. wasn't like, even though it was migrant media, it wasn't made for migrants. Mm. Um, but I, yeah, I think it's also because the angle that they tend to approach is focusing on stereotypes. Yes. I think um, the comedy angle tends to help because if you make it a very serious movie, it could emphasise and heighten these stereotypes, whereas if it's a comedy, it could be taken as a more light-hearted way. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely, like, seen as satirical, Mm. um, which which helps because it also, like, highlights... It's it's kind of like a juxtaposition. Kind mm. of if you go to the extreme of the satire and of the stereotypes, people can be like, "Oh, hang on a second, that's." They can it, it can like kind of force some introspection with the viewers, but also make it more palatable in a way that's not gonna like make them completely go off the topic entirely mm. and just be like, "No, shut down. I'm not. I'm not racist. What do you mean?" Like, yeah, I. It's really yeah. No, they definitely have to use satire as a tool to be able to actually represent themselves. Mm. But I also find it very interesting as well, stereotypes. I mean, like, some some stereotypes do build on common perceptions of things. Some, stereoty- some stereotypes are clearly, you know, extreme, but some of them are also, it's just a norm. Like, growing up... Um, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not exactly the same as second-gen migrants. Second-gen migrants have a very different idea of stereotype as yeah. to, like, what I would, because my conception of stereotypes are the same. But if you look at, say, subtle Asian traits, where is the... Com- Facebook group? Yes. Okay. Where the group is built up mostly of um, second-generation Asian migrants who grew up in Australia and America. Um, they bond over stereotypes. You know, the, the typical... My parents always keep the plastic containers and the plastic bags and mm. reuse them. But the dishwasher is not a dishwasher, it's a drying rack, exactly. you know. It's things like that. I mean, it's, it's built up a lot from the experience of the first-gen migrant at the time, yep. which is a lot of struggles. Um, and yeah, I feel like a, a, lot. a lot of European would feel the same as well on this connection point, is that you 
migrate to a country where you don't speak the language. Um, you don't exactly have a lot of income to support you. And a lot of time these people very much when they first live here live in a life almost poverty really mm. working it's very, a very othering experience yeah they have to work to you know make the ends meet and also it's really hard especially if there's no community i mean now that we look at it now there is a community yeah but at the time when it first arrived it it's a long time to build community it really was and um and a lot of that built into it you know the whole idea that we keep reusing the same plastic containers that have been kept around for like 30 years or mm-hmm. every grocery plastic bag could be reused into a bin bag, you know. Yeah. It's things like that that we tend to laugh at. It's like very comical. And in retrospect, it's very stereotyping as well. I mean, it's, it's what we do. <laughs> um, it's part of culture, really. But it's also something that we tend to connect to as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's really interesting. That actually reminded me of something. I didn't actually, I didn't put this in my essay, so this would be new to you as well. Mm. But one of the um, papers I was reading was written or heavily was involved one of the creators of the show, Acropolis Now. And like so many sitcoms, I think, from this era, it was filmed with a live audience. Mm. And so many of the live audience was filled with... Um, teenagers of southern eastern or greek descent from europe like i say southern eastern i mean europe Mm. um descent and they loved the show they Mm. thought the the stereotypes were really funny they would come back weekly laugh really hard and talk about all their friends with it Mm. and they because that existence of the bonding over the stereotypes is something that still exists so while Mm. Stereotypes can sometimes be harmful when used in that way. It can be also be used as a as a bonding point, and it has been used like that for years. Mm. That's such really interesting, really, because I think a lot of time now in, I think it's it's the context that the word stereotype is used in. Yes. It is often perceived as a negative thing and harmful thing because we we tend to associate it like that. I mean, it's the same with the word propaganda, you know. Um, for those who don't. No, um, Claire and I studied classics. We are yes. obsessed over oh, the, the roots Jesus. of things. Um, and, you know, it's some of the words initially when it first created, it means one thing, but the context it repeatedly is used in modern history. Mm-hmm. It changes constantly. Mm. Language is constantly evolving and we need to be constantly like on top of it. It's really hard. And sometimes <laughs> it, it does feel like you have to think quite hard about mm. certain words that you use yeah. as well. Yeah. But um, back to the topic of um, of stereotypes. Yeah. We really do a good job train half the time. We're good at that. Yeah, we are. <laughs> um, no, I I think there are times in a community where stereotypes can be a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not speaking from a migrant perspective, but like speaking from a, a queer perspective, I mm. know me and my friends kind of relate to all the stereotypes <laughs> as well and we like connect over it. Mm. So it's really stereotypes aren't, a bad thing in the right context it's when they're used for harmful things mm. it's when they're used to like discriminate against people which is obviously awful but if you're a part of that community which is being stereotyped you're reclaiming it and mm. you're making it your own and you're making this new culture which i think is something which is really cool that we can reclaim these things that have been used against us i mean in a sense as well stereotypes help you um make sense of the things that are happening around you like i think especially for second-generation migrant yeah. as well, because I'm friends with quite a lot of them. There are a lot of things because they've never got experience firsthand, like a lot of a cultural point, they never got to experience firsthand. And it's really hard to make sense of it, especially when your parents are not exactly open to talk about it with you. And so 
these stereotypes really help them bond with other people of similar experience and it helped them like to sit down and like talk together and it really helped them understand why and yeah. it helped them understand their identity which is like really important as well oh yeah no i definitely um used like a bit of stereotypes to be able to gauge what people thought about different identities and different things and help that to like you know build my own identity as as a queer person and i know some of my friends have done the same thing it's just the whole like it, it helps with the process of realizing your place in society mm. if that makes sense but it, it needs to be done in a space in a community where there's other people like you otherwise it becomes very kind of restricting and there's no place to share that with mm. like that's why the internet is you know a really good thing so you can connect with people over these experiences and be like hey what's this you know and mm. people be like oh okay this is this and like oh, that that makes so much more sense now kind of yeah Sorry. yeah because mm, i think there are the amount of time that i tend to like see that people the moment they hear the word stereotype they really jump on the gun and say mm. don't do that and like don't no. talk about it and like I mean, for a long time that's what i thought about the word stereotype too mm, which is fair enough but it's just that i think that there are two things we have to be mindful of. Number one is to have a respectful conversation around it. And number yes. two is to be open-minded about yeah, it. Um, and yes, while sometimes there are some topics that are very difficult to address. Is, yeah, um, but if it can be like approached in a respectful way and people are willing to be open-minded about it, mm-hmm. we can generally as a society move forward because the more we try to restrict it, the more difficult it gets for you to comprehend yeah why it is the case yeah no things like that are are really important to have an open mind because if you're not going to approach these things with the respect and the tools that's needed then nothing's really going to stay the same I think if there were no kind of there weren't these discussions in place or there weren't these kinds of studies um, society wouldn't have you know happened or like evolved in the same way Mm. if that makes sense like I I know ANU's is it's considered very left-wing, but that wouldn't be the case if people weren't... I don't know what the word is. They weren't open to having these kinds of discussions, and I think that's Mm. really important about university and being in this kind of sphere is that often we do have these kinds of conversations. Mm. Um, Can I remind me, actually, recently in in one of my security class, we were having having this discussion, like a really lengthy discussion Mm -hmm. about... Well, the initial topic was um, what is the biggest security concern in Australia right now? Mm. We kind of got off track, though. Um, Tutorials often do. Hey, it's a one-off time that tutorial actually go into the heat of conversation. Because most of the time, I remember during COVID, every time we go to a breakout room for discussion, everyone's like, Mm -hmm. black screen, mute. (laughs) Happened to me two weeks ago. Oh, my God. (laughs) But it, I was really, I was really enjoying it for the first time because it really felt for the first time like a sense of university that you're actually having discussion about things, and um, one other thing that we were talking about is the perceptions of human rights, mm-hmm. um, which is very similar to stereotype. I'll walk back to it in a bit because like what we were talking about is we're like, well, does it. You know, is it necessarily like what we perceive as human right mm. really applies for other people? You know, like for for instance, right? You look yeah. at um, for us now, for instance, if we look back at say forty years ago, 
Mm-hmm. And we criticize a lot of the things that the generation before did. I'm not yeah. saying that they were right or wrong. I'm just saying that we criticize it and we disagree with it. But at the time, they might have thought that, that was right. And the question is like, what if things that we are doing now, you know, that we think that are right, mm-hmm. 40 years in the future, the next generation look back and said, that is absolutely wrong. Like, yeah. how can they believe things like that, you know? Yeah, I think that's that's an important part of society is it's constantly evolving mm. and we're currently able to to do this analysis and do this form of communication with the current tools mm. that we have and these spaces are only certainly like made accessible by people so slowly pushing those boundaries i don't think change like that amount of evolution say in 40 years time can just be made overnight i think yeah. generations over generations are just slowly like very slowly evolving because you can't make that happen mm. so i think we're just simply like putting in the work for like society as a future to you know have more of these discussions have more of these open forms of communication about stereotypes and about some other really difficult topics mm. but that's the other thing i want to get back to about as well it's just that we were talking about how do you perceive something is good or not because something that you think that is good yes. might not necessarily be good for the people who are involved in it no and one of our classic example that we put out is that um because well, i was talking about like how growing up as a vietnamese yes. in vietnam there are certain things that from an australian perspective look very strange and weird like domestic violence is still a very prominent thing over there and it's still a thing that despite the concern it is nobody ever talks about it yeah. and the reason being is that because it's so common over there it is perceived to be a norm and okay. women over there just sort of think well people before me suffer it my friends suffer it it's not it's not it's not such a taboo per se but it's just kind of like it's just normal yeah i so mean it, has it become would you say like a part of life is it just accepted? yeah okay. it's kind of is i mean like i'm not saying it's a good thing or not, a bad not thing at all. I'm, but like it's changing now as well given that women are now able to decide what they want to yes. do as well because they can go to work and whatnot as well at least more of a voice yeah but the even then they don't particularly address the whole domestic violence they're just kind of like well it happens mm. i mean that that is something very hard for us to understand that's fair yes. enough um the other topic that we approached was that um think 19 think about 1800 when okay. when the british first arrived to australia um you know the question we ask is that okay the outsider considered that australia was primitive but did anyone in australia at the time consider themselves to be primitive no they had a fully functioning and capable society but it was just kind of outside of the realms of of, of life for the Europeans because they just didn't conform to the society they saw. Yeah. They saw as westernized society. It's just a completely different form. So, I mean, to the same, you know, aspect, like, do you think, you know, that's a question we were asking in our conversation. Not to say that one thing is right or the other. We're just no. saying, you know, is it necessary that women in certain part don't fight for women's right? Because for them, it was never a concept that exists and yeah. they were fine with the way they are. I think it's important to recognise that a lot of different people who you may think, you know, should speak up about things, we, they all come from very different circumstances yeah. and very different contexts where they might not be able to, you know, fight for their rights for variety of reasons, but there's also a multiple different kinds of perspectives when approaching one singular issue. You have to be multifaceted when you're talking about these things mm. in like DV. 
because there is no one perspective. There's no one correct kind of way to approach it. And you have to talk about the people. You have to talk to the people being directly affected. You can't just make generalizations or assume things for them. Yeah. You don't know that position. <laughs> because for all we know, maybe they are perfectly happy the way they are. Yeah. I'm, I don't know. Yeah. I was about to like say, oh, I don't know if they're happy, but like obviously I can't say that because I'm not there. I can't I can't speak for that experience. But it's yeah, we don't we don't know what each individual has gone through, and they're not just by existing in a minority in a in a difficult space. They're not obligated to to fight for the overall cause. They can fight for themselves, sure, but. We don't owe the world a fight. Does that make sense? I feel like it's also down to understanding as well. Like yes. we have a very different understanding of a war as to what they would mm-hmm. have about their work. Yes. And neither is particularly right or wrong. No, it's just, it just that it's just the way that it is. Yeah. Um I think that's something that we really have to keep in mind is that you know, going back to this whole stereotypes as well, you know, from an outsider perspective you think stereotype is really bad you know you shouldn't do that but at the same time for the people inside yeah it it is the thing that like build up for them and it makes it just makes sense you know yeah yeah and for the um the people creating shows like such as like acropolis now they they use stereotypes so they were actually able to connect to a wider audience and be able to actually get their ethnic identity seen Mm. by a wider audience so that's just like another example of like past generations and now what we're doing just chipping away at slowly evolving so we can have these kinds of conversations because Acropolis now was a really interesting starting point for this discussion and then 40 years ago we wouldn't have been able to to have this kind of topic like discussion but it it gave us a starting point if Mm. that makes sense so we can see the evolution we can see things happen because they were using these stereotypes as a way to present identities that hadn't been previously presented in a very white Anglo-Saxon Australia. I mean, I think in retrospect, if you look at a lot of the show that we got back at the time, at the same time with like a couple is now, yes. a lot of the time, modern audience will look back and goes, that's unacceptable. Yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, for that period of time, yeah. I'm not saying, maybe it was acceptable. Well, actually, there are a lot of jokes then that we like, what the hell, and then, but yeah, it, I think it, it makes sense as well. It had a I um I, I mentioned this briefly in my essay. They use a lot of stereotypes and all these sort of stereotypes um involve some sexism and involve some some racism as well. But one of the creators of the show specifically said we have to rely on these kinds of things. We have to rely on making satirizing ourselves and we will do whatever it takes to get ethnic identities represented. So mm. While, you know, we don't see that kind of representation as much anymore, but perhaps that's because these representations existed at one point. And that's not saying it's okay, but it's you have to approach these things with the context they were in. Mm. Um, Because obviously those kinds of things won't be presented today because they would be seen as problematic. But we're actually able to see lots more different representations of ethnic media and a lot more positive representations. Just say, like, I don't know, my, my parents watch a lot of crime shows from lots of different <laughs> countries. And so, like, SBS has given them uh, a space to be able to do that. And mm. um, I don't know, I think that's really important to have that evolving space. But I also feel like it is a bit problematic in modern day as well. The, oh, definitely. The way that we shut down certain topics because it's, like, uncomfortable to address. 
Yeah. Um, because realistically speaking, by virtue of doing that, what we're doing is that we just pretend that we're just ignoring the problem yeah, rather than actually addressing it. Problem. Yeah. And like I don't necessarily agree with the way that, you know, how certain things were portrayed in the media oh, back in not the day. At all. I don't agree with some of the representations in Acropolis but, now. But at least like harmful. it give us it give us something to talk about, if that makes any yeah, sense. Like, yeah. I feel like sometime I'm not saying that things should be perpetrated because like no. um media does to some extent reflects our society. It definitely did in this case. Yeah. I mean, like, even now, like, a lot of the joke that we see on TV reflects the way that at least our generation sees certain yeah, things. Yeah, because they need to appeal to a yeah. certain audience. Yeah, but it's just that, you know, if we keep shutting down every single conversation point that we find uncomfortable about just because, yeah, you know, it's something that is difficult to address, I think that in itself is also problematic. Yeah, yeah, you have to... Um at least be able to have those conversations if you're, you know, currently mentally able to. Mm. Um, oh, shit, I forgot what I was going to say. A safe <laughs> yeah. space? Yeah, yeah. It's important to have that safe space and also important to recognise if you're able to have that conversation yourself. Because obviously, like, you know, not everyone might be able to. Some topics, you know, really hard, potentially triggering. Mm. Don't have to force people to do that. But I think having these kinds of conversations is definitely important. But we also don't want to like necessarily speak for anyone else, or we also need to be very careful. Yeah, like um, you don't push them into a situation where they don't want to be in this. Well. Exactly. Yeah, it's just something that needs to be approached kind of with an open mind, with with respect. Mm. But I find that that's something that's somewhat lacking in recent yeah. day as well. Like even even if you look at say A and U, right? Every time you go on A and U confession, you see it. Um, <laughs> People inability to not necessarily accept other people's view, but just acknowledge it. Yeah, I think acknowledging is the first part, really. Yeah, like I don't get me wrong. I think in every single kind of conversations, there are yeah. two sides to it. Yeah. And I think at the moment, a lot of us tend to have the view of it's either my way or the highway. You yeah. either accept it. Or you are my enemy for disagreeing with me, and I don't think that's a way. It's a bit excessive. It really is excessive at time because I, I don't think it should be that way. I no. think we, because we as human don't have the ability to know it all. No, that's a bit much to ask, really. I mean, I don't even know remember what I ate last night, let alone like you know. <laughs> um, but it's just like, and I think because uh, we. Uh, lack of a capability to know everything that's happening mm-hmm. around us, yeah. I think it's incredibly important to listen to the opposite side, even yeah. if you disagree with them. Because mm. I'm not saying that they they will make sense, but maybe no. they sometimes they do, you know. Yeah. Because I mean, it's we have to kind of listen to them so we know to gauge what they're saying. But obviously, if they're saying things that are just, like, naturally against, say, like, human rights or something. We don't necessarily have to agree, but that they're there so we can acknowledge those, what they consider facts, really, some people. And we can be like, hey, actually, you know, this isn't, might not necessarily be the case, but I see where you might be coming from. Yeah. I don't know. It's, I mean, you can't um, attack, like, you can't be too angry when like dealing with some kinds of people because otherwise they're just going to get defensive Mm. so you just also have to approach it 
by just kind of maybe not maybe <laughs> I mean the other thing as well a lot of people will feed misconception without knowing that oh they God, yeah. they will like you know feed misconceptions and the ideal things to do in that situation is to understand the reasoning of why they think the way they do yeah. and then explain to them in yep. a nice gentle way Because yeah. if you just outright accusing them like, oh, how stupid could you be to believe that? They will just automatically That's feel like... Defensive. They'll get yeah, defensive. They will feel like you are accusing them of not doing their research properly. And I mean, maybe they did try, but it's just that they will feed differently because internet yeah. algorithm is just weird, you know? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, like, especially if they're raised in a certain family in a certain area, say like, I don't know, South America. South America? For, um, yeah, the southern states mm. of America. Like, that's a very kind of specific community. And I don't want to generalize. Like, I know there are people who aren't all right-wing in the southern states. Mm. But, like, when you're raised in, like, a community where certain values are idealized, certain values are presented as the norm, certain kind of concepts and things like that are normalized and you don't have a chance to escape. You also don't have a chance to build your views for yourself. Mm. You're just kind of fed all of these things by your say your family your community and when you're a part of those things even your internet sphere can kind of take a part of that because you know facebook algorithm runs off what not just you look at but like what other people look at as well yeah like especially so in your areas and where you're from so a self-perpetuating cycle and it can take probably a lot of work to get out of that but the other thing as well for a lot of people is about being accepted yeah. and in in some community if it's so closely knitted and they all share the same view and suddenly you have a different view the fear of being cast out especially by your own family and friend is really really strong it, yeah it would be it would be ostracizing mm. for sure um yeah i don't i can't really speak any experience on that thankfully my parents share share similar views but it's a really kind of interesting sphere to discover because we often don't try to see bigoted views we just kind of see them and be like oh no that's that's wrong and But then we never wonder why they yeah, think like that <laughs> yeah i mean um, yeah it's it's a very complicated discussion i don't want to i don't want to minimize certain things certain people probably you know said because obviously they can be really harmful and mm. i don't want to i don't want to seem like i'm agreeing with that or um accepting it i don't i think bigotry is bad guys um but i think we just have to approach certain things in a certain way mm. and i feel like the best way for us to move forward at time or trying to explain to other people about yeah. like our point of view and why we have certain view is to understand why they have their views and then you know move forward from there yeah. um because otherwise we just become a very fragmented society yeah yeah definitely and this kind of i don't know if it This piqued my, not interest, I reminded me slightly of some one of the concepts I read in anthropology, which is the concept of, of motherland and fatherland, which mm. is actually, like, every country kind of has this concept, but, like, the fatherland is, like, the big aggressive decision-making kind of uh, capability of aggression kind of thing mm. that pushes them, for, like, not necessarily forward, but, like, it pushes them in political aspects and lots mm. of things to do with war. And there's also, like, the motherland, which is literally you're considered to be in the womb of your motherland. So like we're in the womb of Australia, which is a really weird concept, theoretically. <laughs> um, but it's when these things are kind of like are at an imbalance that lots of these things, lots of incongruent issues 
can appear. Mm. Um, so when people don't feel like they've been comforted enough, they don't feel like they've been, you know, held or something like that by their motherland, that they go and be like, oh, everything is like, they feel at odds with their country and their nationhood. And then they go to the extremes because they don't. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but if anyone wants to read up on it, it's by Ghassan Haig. It's called Against Paranoid Nationalism. <laughs> um, I'm probably not doing it the most justice, but it's actually, it's a very interesting theory. Mm. It does sound interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I feel like I, I derailed that a little bit. I, I feel just, like I kind of zoned out for a second, but it's also it's a really interesting the way, the way we think about motherland and fatherland yeah. as well. I think, th- you know, last time I think about fatherland, I think about like, Every time you read any Roman oh, senator kind of thing, they yeah. always say like "pater patria," you know, like yeah, for the fatherland. The fatherland. I fight for the fatherland. Like yeah, yeah, that's the whole thing. That's what fatherland, and obviously it's a gendered concept mm. as well, which feeds into gender stereotypes and so on and so forth. But the idea of the fatherland being the one responsible for war, the one responsible for like aggression and all the decision making, it's reinforcing ideas of say like nuclear families mm-hmm. or things like that. I don't know. It's it's a very complicated topic and I don't necessarily know if I'm the most educated about it, but it's a really interesting discussion to have. I but I think that even just the, the term itself, yeah, it, like the feels when you get it, you're like, ah. Mm. Like the fatherland is like... I feel a little bit opposed to it, actually. I, I don't know. For me, when I think about fatherland, I think it's very... So it's very strong. It's like it's very patriotic in mm. a sense, but it's. I I feel patriotic. I don't feel anything about the fatherland. Yeah, I feel like motherland. It's a bit more like cute. It's that's that's the whole point. But <laughs> like, you're like motherland is meant to comfort you. It's meant to be there when you're not feeling supported, and mm. if you don't feel supported, that's when these nationalist people appear. Um, they. Um, if they don't feel like the motherland has been supporting them, has been caring for them, um, they they start to become paranoid and start to think that there's things attacking their nation state kind of thing. It's really, it does really feel into like, so one, on the one hand, motherland is like, they look after the people. Yes. Whereas the fatherland is more like, you look after the country. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think it's like really interesting. But it's also feed into the stereo, like gender type. Lid, um, stereo gender as well. Sorry, guys. Claire, just drink a bottle of water with a lid on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I don't know. I I never think that hard into it actually. I didn't either, and that's what I find really interesting about anthropology. Because I went into uni, and my major was English, and that is no longer my major. Um, I found. <laughs> Sorry, English majors. It's just not my thing anymore. But anthropology, I find it's it's really interesting to approach all these different theories within society and to be able to gain kind of a different perspective. Because mm. before I did this migration course, I had no idea about all the different, you know, concepts at play, say, within borders or just like border security or the things that compel people to move, all the different push and pull factors. I'm now... Um, I I'm, I come to this kind of discussion knowing a lot mm. more, and that's what I really enjoy about anthropology is that I'm able to become more educated about the world that exists around me. Mm. Um, 
And I just, I find that really interesting. And also, as a bit of an ancient Greek nerd, I love the anthros, anthropos, <laughs> anthology. It's literally the study of humans. And I, I find that really fascinating to mm. be able to understand that, you know, this place in which we exist, I didn't, you know, think there'd be like so many different perspectives and so many different theories because obviously I'm in my own like little bubble. Mm. But there's so many different things to be aware of and so many different perspectives to think about that I wasn't previously aware of. Mm. That makes sense. I mean, I feel really similar as well. I mean, when I first came to uni, my degree was classic language. Yeah. And I've changed the language degree three say, times. Wow. <laughs> it, it went on a wild journey of life. It went yeah. to Bachelor of International Security oh. because I was I like, as much as I love language, I don't think I can put up with learning four languages in one semester. Like, I would learning die. Learning one was rough enough. Kudos <laughs> uh, to you language students, guys. Like, I, I did Latin and Ancient Greek in one in the same semester <sighs> because of classic. And I was like, Are it's close enough, but it's also too far apart. Yeah. Like, yeah. the, the alphabet is different, but the structure is the same. Is it? Okay. Well, yeah, because, like, Latin is only developed as a written language, like, three or four hundred years after it was spoken. Mm, and okay. Yeah, because, like... See, I didn't know that. Yeah, so what happened is that they, they speak the language. Yeah. Um, and then as they expand the empire, they realize, shit, we need to find a way to teach these people how to speak our language. Yeah. and They need to be able to communicate. Yeah, well, that, but it's also, like, how can we give them citizenship if they... You know, you can't be a Roman citizen if you don't know how to speak Latin, you know? Yeah. So they're like, okay, so what do we do? So they look at, like, the Greeks who initially, what they did is that they spoke in Latin and they wrote in Greek. Yeah. And then, you know, three or four... Guys. Yeah, three or four hundred years on, they realize, no, we need to learn how to write our language down. And that's when they start writing down the language. Yeah, okay. And so the structure between two languages are quite similar mm. in many aspects. Okay. That's really um, interesting, actually. Yeah. It's Sorry. just... It's just, like, different in, obviously, the way they speak. Um, See, language yeah. is constantly evolving. Yeah. It's constantly changing. And that's, you know, a little nerd moment here. That's why I love classical studies. We're <laughs> able to... <laughs> I'm connecting it back to the previous point. Don't laugh too much. We're able to, to see how it's evolved from... Not that ancient Greece was, you know, the first example of anxiety. It's not at all. But I mean, we're able to see it, language from a certain point in its history and see how it's evolved. I and mean, we're able to see stereotypes. First spoken evolved. language had been like what, at least 30,000, 30, 40,000 years before Maybe. the Greeks and the Latin even wrote their yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah, no. So it's. 100%. Yeah, like it's it's definitely not the first form of communication, but it's a first. Not at all. Written form of. Well, it's not first either. It's like one of the first. Yeah, I feel like form. a lot of the Asian. Asian? countries would have there was been a lot there as well quite a lot before that it's just that we choose to focus on europe because it's, it's west it's a westernized perspective it ties up with our politics and life though yeah. i mean it kind of makes sense um some of the aspect of it also very asian like the way that the romans are like obsessed with the families um I mean, family is important but like you gotta approach it yeah know? but the, the <laughs> romans and the family are so yeah. interesting like yeah. all your slaves are your family Really? Yeah. Like, were they, were they related to the family? Like, to the slaves? Or were they just considered to be part of they the They considered household? to be a, a part okay. of a family. I mean, you got Saturnalia is when the, the slaves become the master for a day oh. or something like that. 
and the master become well they don't really serve the slave but they're allowed to eat at the same table oh so that's like equaling of position yeah yeah so saturnalia is like an equivalent of modern day christmas it's literally happened around the same yeah. time it's a 12th day celebration too, yeah. yeah and um it's it's really interesting how the concept plays out because like if someone considered to be having a big family what he doesn't really mean is that he got a lot of children what he means he got a lot of slaves yeah. and slaves are his <laughs> children you know mm-hmm. um and that was something really interesting because apparently when julius caesar freed a hundred slaves mm-hmm. all 100 slaves only named julius caesar themselves <laughs> <laughs> after him yeah like so it's pro- did they you do it to honor him i think part of that but also because he freed them yeah technically it's kind of you know do they consider him like a, a daddy a <laughs> Daddy. Did you freak me, Daddy? Oh, um, my God. <laughs> okay, we need to make this PG. I'm yes, sorry, everyone. I'm so sorry. <laughs> um, but that's your little bit of history for the yeah, day. Yeah, of course we have to accidentally go on a classics rant. As always. But no, I, I really... Um, okay, back to back to what back we were talking topic, about before. Guys. So then I, I left language. Yes. Um, come to study international security. Mm-hmm. Of all the thing I want to say, it's not because I obsess. I was obsessed with politics or security. I really mm-hmm. was not. I, the initial reason I did it was because my dad was like, "You should do security," and I'm oh. like, "Okay, I'll do security just to like appease my dad." And then, as I was doing it, it's not that I loved it, but it also really opened my mind mm-hmm. about certain things. And I'm like, "Oh, that makes sense. Actually, we yeah. never thought about things like that." Yeah. But like, then, yeah. Sorry, like, my, my roommate does international relations. Mm. And every now and then, like, um, they'll start talking about something that they found interesting. And that's even that in itself is like, oh, my gosh, I didn't realize these kinds of things yeah. existed. Like, this is so interesting. Thank you for, like, going on this little tangent or getting me to proofread this. Because now I, I, I know a little bit more about the world. Yeah. I don't know. There's something to be said about the human desire for, for knowledge about the place they live. But at the same time, like, there are something that I do in security that ties straight back to, like, classical studies. Oh, yes. Like... Same with my degrees. Yeah, the Thucydides traps. It, I'm kind of like, what the fuck? Yeah, <laughs> and that's then, in like, ancient history and in politics. Yeah, and I'm like, okay, thanks for coming back. And then things like the Suez Canal. Mm-hmm. Like, nobody realizes, but that piece of... That strait of water yeah. was historically and military significance oh. ever since Caesar died. Really? Like, they fought war, you know, during back in the old days for that piece of canal because it was the closest way for you to trade yeah. between Rome and India. Yeah, trade is very important. And sometimes people don't realise this, but there are some warehouse in India that were built by Roman legions. Ooh, okay. So if you... Because people didn't realise this, but, like, it's only, like, about a few decades ago when someone saw this, like, building in, like, India, and they're like, oh, I wonder what it is. And they pull out a brick. And the thing with the Romans when yeah. they build things is that they stamp, every legion would stamp every single oh, brick, wow. which which legion made that brick and then yeah. put in the building. And so when they pull out the brick of this building, they realise that it was built by a Roman legion yeah. as a trading thing. Similarly... If you ever get to have an archaeological digging between the South Indian Sea, you will find a bunch of, like, Roman trading ships that will sink in that area across the time. Alexander the Great... He was everywhere, man. He, I mean, he got up to India. So, like, it wasn't like Asia didn't exist. Like, No, it definitely existed. I mean, they communicate long, long before, like, a lot of things happened. Yeah, like, even in my archaeology course, we were talking about how they traded different things with 
oh my god, I can't remember all the different places, but like definitely within Asia and India, they were like yeah, like, somewhere I, was traveling trading ivory and. Oh and, yeah, uh, like like, that. like back all the way back to like the Iron Age, which is like way before the Romans even existed. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there's also kind of like I think, for I think it's because the whole colonization history recently emerged like as a the way that the f- it kind of got like narrative like it's the first time the European ever contact with the East or something like that. Yeah, and so we kind of like forget that like no, they were trading. Much longer, like yeah. way before this ever happened. Yeah, like the Dutch actually found Australia before the, the rest. Yeah. yeah, like just because they didn't settle down doesn't mean like they weren't here. Exactly. They saw and they're like, nice, and they move on. Yeah, I mean, I don't actually know what they did here, but I just I I know they were that, here. Yeah, they um just were usually presented a very particular narrative. But yeah, it's not always often the case. I mean, it's the same with um. The Mongolians, like, mm-hmm. people forget that Mongolia actually did invade Europe at one stage and go all the way down, I think to Spain it was. Wow, yeah. So, like, they, they really... were very capable then. They got really... They literally got into the center of a- like Europe oh. and then go back. So, it's not like they never exist. I think mm-hmm. it's just that our narrative tend to forget that at some stage in history, yeah. things happen, you know? <laughs> So many things happen and so many of it is done, done by angry white men. Ah. Uh, and well, actually, angry men. Full angry, stop. Yeah, actually, yeah. I that. Angry men are responsible for a lot of actually. Speaking of angry men, there <gasps> were also angry women at play as well. Yeah, like yeah. Mongolian woman. Really? Off the tits. Wow. Man. There was one of this um, granddaughter of um, what's his name? Genghis Khan. Oh yeah. She had a greatest way of doing this. So anyway, so every time she had a challenge that if you want to marry her. You have to win in an, a wrestle with her. Then you get to marry her. <laughs> but if you lose, you're gonna. Yeah, I think it's like you either lose like horses or kingdom or something like that. You have, but you have to commit something, or you lose your lives or some shit like that. Anyway. Jesus. Um, she never got married, by the way. <laughs> she was too strong. She bested she, all the men. She beat all the men who wow. proposed to her. And what a girl boss. I know, and she ended up having like a bunch of horses. Like, <laughs> so I'm just saying, like horse girl. Not only men, angry women, angry people. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think anger is is responsible for a lot of things happening in society. I mm. think everyone would be, everything would be a little bit better if everyone just took a moment to breathe. <laughs> everybody maybe, maybe went to therapy. Maybe we all go and have like a meditation every morning. Like at this hour, the whole world <laughs> meditates. Even if it's like four a.m. in your country, it's like okay, I gotta. Take a nap. You know, it's like you know how like we have Remembrance Day, where, like yeah. exactly at eleven eleven on eleventh day. Yeah. Everyone across like a certain area like go completely quiet for one minute. Mm. It's that, but we meditate for one minute. <laughs> the whole world. The whole world. The whole world. Um, wow. Every day, so that we can feel better about. Yeah. You know. I just maybe not mindfulness. Just do something that makes you feel a bit better about the world you live in. Because I know it doesn't. Meditation doesn't always work for everyone. Mm. Yeah, like I used to be mega into meditation when I was in year 11. Now I struggle sitting still for five minutes. So maybe just listen to some music. Do something no, Do something for yourself. No, self-care. No, just, Everybody just engage in self-care. <laughs> yes. Like a four-hour nap. Nap. <laughs> nap. 
that I is the that. point of this discussion. I remember like I put in this thing and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna nap for half an hour. Yeah. And that opened my eyes like eight hours past. I'm like, oh great. Um, eight hour nap. Refreshed. <laughs> Were <laughs> Not, you refreshed? No. Oh my <laughs> I, god. I felt more sleepy actually. I know. I woke up this morning. I probably got like nine hours sleep, and I just I laid in bed for like four more hours. I was so tired. Yeah, it's week three and it's. But I'm not. I'm only, I'm only doing a winter course. I I don't even know what to do at this stage, but um, <laughs> my life. Not gonna lie. Just but yeah. Hang out with me sometimes. If I have time. Yeah. <laughs> this could be our scheduled hangout. <laughs> Every time at radio station, <laughs> let's talk about something. Yeah. Um, let's do it. You can come back next week. Yeah. Okay. If I don't have another guest. Okay. And we can find out a new topic to talk about. Yeah, I'm so full of random things to talk about. You know, I just remember, I never finished my, my story about my degree. <laughs> Please continue. <laughs> okay, um, then I, I finished my, I was like halfway through my international yes. security degree and I was like, I simultaneously love and hate this. Because like every time I go to a lecture, you know, everyone in my course were like into, into it, you know, they're like, like they have strong opinion about everything. Like they, they know all the theory inside out and they were like, you know, like, China and America are 24-7. They always have a strong opinion about everything. And there's always that one person who, I swear to God, memorized all 200 pages of reading or something. I know, that happened a lot in ancient history tutorials as well. And I'm like, like, this person said this at this, and I'm like, hang on a second. Uh, Did we read the same readings? Because I don't remember (laughs) this happening. Maybe it did happen. And then then I Googled it and it did happen, but I didn't remember it happening. Nope. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so that, and part of me felt like, a massive imposter syndrome mm-hmm. sitting in that classroom so much because i'm like i love this i enjoy the topic do i want to discuss this with you since you're so into this not really yeah i mean that goes back to how you need to approach discussions in a certain way if you're being aggressive about it that's not creating a space for further conversation i mean i, I guess i mean my course also have a lot of um Army boys. Oh, are they from Adfa? I don't even know where they're from. General. Oh, I know it's at one. I was like, I'm from the army. I've been in the army for like ten years. I'm like, good on you, man. um, Does foster a certain mindset? I'm gonna say. Yeah, I mean, I I can understand why they where they're coming from, but it just made me like I, I am terrified of saying something that might be wrong and then Ooh. get roasted by them for not understanding why yeah, things exactly and how work. I don't know if how they expect to have incredibly productive conversations if they're not going to accept different views. Mm. And so I then I was like, yeah. damn, do I really want to be here? Well, I mean, are you more interested in the topic or are you, is it the people in the in the topic? Neither. <laughs> Hmm. I'm so Maybe sorry. That's a problem. I am so so sorry. I I mean I find it really helpful, like really great to have yeah. more knowledge. But I weren't quite sure if it's like I can do it at work. I just yeah. don't know if it's something I'm passionately passionate about. Okay. Um. Anyway, then I'd remember like in my first year when I did my language degree, I had to do linguistic, and it was like mm. the greatest joy of my life sitting there for like three hours thinking really? about some random problem set that I have to sit there and find out. Mm. why it like this sometimes yeah <laughs> linguistics can be very interesting mm, so i changed my degree fair enough <laughs> and fair i'm doing enough. art and part art of me is so fun i know like i technically it legit is the same as a you just have a bit more freedom it's the same as an in like a security degree at this mm-hmm. stage but instead of doing a language i do linguistic yeah um yeah. now that i think about it, maybe i couldn't negotiate to keep as international like 
security, but with linguistic minor. But look, it, we passed that stage. I'm tired. <laughs> yeah, you you've got something. You're sticking to it. Changing it is just more stress. Yeah, so I'm kind of like YOLO. I'm gonna wing it. Um, and now That's how I, how I do it. I really, I kind of, I am enjoying what I'm doing actually because, yeah? like last time I did social linguistic. Oh, stuff's so cool. Which is like amazing because you get to learn about in groups and out groups and mm-hmm. how multi linguist like multilingual community communicate with one another how do you choose which language to, to speak yeah. in a group of people who speak multiple languages mm-hmm. you um, find a common denominator yeah but it's also like you know like me and my friends we we have a lot of vietnamese people can speak two languages yeah and some of us speak three or four like Alex, when he speak five and turn my brain off, and I don't want to talk to him ever oh again. Oh my god! Yeah, one <laughs> of my friends is a polyglot, and I just don't understand how they do it. It's, you know, that's the biggest humble you get by doing linguistics. You walk in there, and everyone speak a minimum of three languages, and you're like, amazing. Maybe that's why I dropped <laughs> linguistics, man. Um, it really does humble me about you know what to do and what not to do in yeah. life. Yeah, definitely. But it's also kind of like, it's, it's great because it's like. Linguistic is, especially if you speak two languages, it builds up on your personal experience, but it also, like, it makes sense by connecting to you. But it also makes sense because it's, like, human overall. And it's great. It's a fundamental human experience. Yeah. And it's it's just so, I don't know, it's just so much fun because then you get to sit there and you talk to someone next to you and they're like, although you don't speak the same language, you're like, Oh no, I got that experience as well. Like I get it when like I love someone says so X Y Z, and I'm yeah. like, huh, you know, like, and you're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Shared human experience and connection, like overcoming language boundaries, mm. I think is might be one of my favorite things. It's just, it's 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 sweet, and it speaks to a common understanding that everyone has, regardless of where you come from or your experiences. Mm. And it's it's a really is pleasant thing to do. Yeah. See, open communication, guys. Woohoo! Communication is so important, everyone. I want everyone to write that down. Please communicate. Please. I recently had to work with someone who did not communicate to me, and God, the level of peaking anger I had, and the, the so amount of time anger. we wasted because of lack of clear communication. Because it's like, like we agree on something, and then suddenly they change plan, but they didn't communicate, and then we both huh? got the thing that we agreed on done, and then they're like, oh. Actually, we changed our mind. I'm like, well, why didn't you say so? And they're like, oh, I just kind of forgot. I'm like, what do you mean? No. And then we Can both you have a productive friendship or any kind of relationship. Oh, and then like we have to go back and do the same thing. And then Jeez. it's such a waste of time. It just sounds so counterproductive. It really was frustrating. It was also <laughs> that as well. Jeez. So please, I swear to God, everyone, please communicate. Yes. <laughs> the important um, takeaways from today's discussion. Naps are good, and also communication is very important. Indeed. It, it's what helps us keep stereotypes moving. stereotypes exist. For both good and bad things. Yeah. 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 Great. Slay. Slay. <laughs> I think it is about time. Is it? Oh, my God. It's been like 50 minutes. Oh, my God. Look at this. Time flies when you're having fun. Yeah. And chaotic energy. <laughs> so much chaos, but I thrive in chaos. It's really fun. Yeah. So we're going to... I think we should wrap up. Okay. Okay. Well, don't forget, guys. Nap or meditate, communicate, mm-hmm. embrace some stereotype. Not all, some. Some. And embrace your friends. Oh, yeah, that Hugs, too. I mean. Uh, sure. 
that, that, okay. <laughs> and then embrace your family too, I guess. <laughs> Touch some grass. <laughs> sniff, <laughs> sniff the trees. Mm. Actually, speaking of sniffing a tree, it's about to rain. So if you're about oh. to go outside, please bring your umbrella and 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 smell petrichor. That's a good smell. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it was great having you here Thank with us. Thank you so much for inviting me. Anytime, anytime. Yeah. I think there'll be a lot. <laughs> okay. Okay. Write me down. That's all good. Well, thank you, our listener, for coming and joining us. Um, please join us again next week. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Bye.